Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Welcome to another episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I've got a great guest this month, Miss Lee Hurley with Hurley Counseling. I also want to talk a minute about our breach of the month, which is actually uh, a hit on Microsoft from a company or a a bad actor group called Lapsus, as well as for the thought of the month, I want to go over one of Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 Rules for Life. Stand up straight and put your shoulders back. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. Cyber attack analysis. Let's break it down. breach of the week it is very interesting because it relates to Microsoft having 37 gigs worth of data stolen from them uh, mainly to do with their uh, Bing application their web browser Bing um, but also had some with their uh, Microsoft Maps but what's interesting about that is just recently I read that um, there was like a 30 something percent that some of the big guys like Amazon Web Services you know, like Facebook or, you know, or uh, Google or Microsoft uh, has about a 37% chance of being, uh, having some, you know, pretty serious cyber uh, breach over the next, I think it was 24 months. And here, I mean, literally, I read that about a week and a half ago. And on Tuesday, March 22nd, Microsoft confirmed um, that uh, this, this hacking group called Lapsus uh, they're also known uh, and claiming having hacked NVIDIA, Samsung, and some other uh, components uh, have you know, gotten in at least to some level. Microsoft is somewhat playing it down. Uh, they're saying that not just you know, one piece of this is going to be able to have any data that's valuable, but still the case remains that they were there and they've got 37 gigs worth of Microsoft's uh, data. And uh, it actually, it was a partial source code for Bing and actually Cortana and uh, is what was actually released. So very much concerning in the fact that, you know, Microsoft of course is doing um, a, a, you know, a good job these days for sure on security and yet they're able to get them. It really just speaks to the fact that we have got to be diligent in our cybersecurity and, uh, you know, in, in general business, about one in five is getting hacked uh, every year. So that's about a 20% chance, which is, you know, relatively high. And if you are one of the low-hanging fruits, you're really going to put yourself into a position. So have that risk assessment, understand where your list your risk lies and then you want to tighten that risk up by uh, classifying the vulnerabilities in high, middle, or medium, and low categories and work on those highs because if you've got high um, you know, uh, classified risk, you're going to get hit. You're going to be one of those 20% and you know it's easier to solve the problem before there is a problem. And as it relates to what I'm seeing with cybersecurity uh, and trying to help clients get themselves um, 
in a, in a state or in a security posture that will allow for cybersecurity companies to take them up after they've had a breach, it is very difficult and it is much more expensive. So the first order of business is not to have a breach. And uh, so if you have questions or you'd like to talk about this, just let me know. Interview an expert. Now, let me introduce you. Welcome to another episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I have Lee Hurley with Hurley Counseling uh, on the call today, and I'm really excited because I got a lot of questions for her. Welcome to the show, Lee. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I wanted to chat with you just to, for just briefly about just what you're seeing in the industry. A lot of times, you know, I think that uh, people in counseling uh, services very often see things uh, much earlier than the textbooks or the news or whatever. You know, we just gone through a, a pandemic and, you know, we had the resignation nation at the end of last year. We've got inflation. You know, it seemed like a lot of stress on people. What are you seeing, you know, from a boots on the ground perspective? So, so yeah, we see the underbelly of all those things that you just described, which looks like the breakdown of relationships. We are seeing a significant increase in marital conflict and also, and heartbreakingly, drastically higher rates of anxiety and depression in kids and teenagers. Yep. which has implications for the whole family as well. For sure. That could cause marital problems, for sure. For sure, yes. Let me ask you this. From a, from a kid's standpoint, do you think it's from being kind of, I don't want to use the word locked up, but for lack of a better word, kind of, you know, locked up, kind of desocialized, do you think that's a, a major cause of that? What's your thought on that? It's certainly one of the variables you know, and in most things, when people present to us with depression and anxiety, there's usually not just one triggering event. But what we saw with the pandemic is these kids that are already in a very anxious developmental stage of life that thrive in being socially connected with their peers and having routine and having predictability and a rhythm in their world that was all taken away. And so children, children and adults thrive in human contact, right? And so these children didn't have it or they only had it virtually, which is a, a much cheapened version of, of what they need. So in addition to that, you have financial stress in the home coming from parents. You have parents that are trying to mitigate and navigate their jobs from home and that stress is brought into the home and then there's no healthy escape for kids so many children are in in homes where there's tense marital conflict and they find solace in their peers or in outside adult safe relationships say with a teacher or with a coach or a mentor and what the pandemic did everyone was at home in a pressure cooker um, even the strongest and healthiest of families struggled in ways that they never foresaw for those reasons. 
Sure. Now, I want to ask you this from a standpoint of being able to, um, you know, like that teenage years and almost like socializing, kids who don't get to do that often, they don't perform um, later on in life. I read something a long time ago where there was like a study on that. I wonder if you could just give me a couple of comments on the importance of, of socializing and almost like, you know, I'm not saying I'm, you know, how kids pick on each other and I'm not talking about bullying, but I'm just talking about kind of setting the social order and how that's important. Absolutely. So during the adolescent years, up until the age of 25, the brain is rapidly developing. And the parts of the brain that are cueing to social norms, cueing to other people's emotion, which is where we derive emotional intelligence, um, reading the room, being intuitive, knowing when to engage in conversation and when to take a pause. These sorts of skills are learned in adolescence. And the only way for them to be learned is in relationship with other human beings, with peers, with adults. Um, unfortunately, a screen can't provide um, what we need, which is also why we're seeing a decrease in performance and work performance and in children's ability to navigate the complexities of the world and to problem solve, et cetera. So what we're looking at now is not only the fallout from the pandemic and these children being isolated, but we're also combating the digital age, the digital leash, as I like to call it, um, that is hijacking our children's brains. And parents are feeling pretty helpless on what to do about it. They intuitively know something's not right. My child should be able to make eye contact at a restaurant and order a meal, or my child should be interacting with his peers in a different way or her in a different way. Um, and unfortunately, we're running a lot of uphill battles with these kids. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate that kind of backdrop as kind of the current landscape. And I think everyone agree with that. And um, but I want to get back to really who Lee is and how you got started in this industry. Tell me a little bit about what made you want to go into a counseling uh, type service or maybe even kind of clue us in on exactly, you know, where your skill set lies as it relates to counseling, because I know there's a lot of different areas. There are. So by nature, as even as a child, my parents would tell you that I was nurturing by nature and took interest in other people. And I always knew as I grew that I was drawn to helping professions. As a child, I even loved children. And <clears throat> I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. I dabbled in the idea of teaching. And what ultimately actually led me to the counseling field is I fell in love with my husband who was graduating from a program, a counseling program. And I felt like, what the heck, I might as well. It was an excuse to move to Mississippi to be near him. <laughs> and it seemed, I didn't know what else I wanted to do specifically. And so I just took the leap and enrolled and uh, took the GRE and I enrolled in grad school and never looked back. Um, it was a really good fit. 
That's so all. I don't have a, a long, sophisticated academic journey getting there. Uh, the shorter the story is that I liked what I saw and what my then boyfriend, Andrew, my husband now, was learning and what he was doing and followed suit. Yeah. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Brooke, is um, she's fixing to start grad school and uh, she's picking the school right now where she wants to go. She finished um, and she is also studying you know, psychology. So I get all kinds of uh, I get it analyzed often around my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about like some of the challenges because you have a, a fairly large practice for our area. Tell me, um, you know, Tell me some challenges that, um, you know, that our, our listeners could maybe identify with and then how you were able to overcome them. Sure. As a business development, you're asking, like, as we've grown our business. Yeah, more as a business and, and just, you know, uh, you know, how do you be a perfect counselor and keep that great attitude up and all that other stuff, all the things, you know, how do you, how do you execute <laughs> on them? Well, you know, I don't know that I've ever been perfect. I, I know for sure I have never been perfect. And I think that for the mental health field, navigating the mental health world and your your role, my role in it as the clinician is, is complex. It's a complex journey. I think I, like many people that have been in the profession a while, wear different hats at different places in their career. Um, for Andrew, my husband and I, we started Hurley Counseling, just the two of us. I was coming out of a position at Tulane University in New Orleans. He had been in private practice with a psychiatrist in New Orleans, and we moved to Mobile at the time to be near family and shortly after opened a private practice. Um, and so initially it was just the two of us. Um, I specifically worked really well, work really well with kids and teenagers and their parents. I don't ever work with a teenager or child without also engaging the parents in the process. Um, and Andrews has specialized in working with trauma and doing couples marital therapy. Um, and so Within that, just bit by bit, we grew. That was well over, it's been about eight years ago. And as we've grown, we're now at 10 clinicians of various specialties. But the challenge is, you know, I say we, we learn best by the mistakes we've made. <laughs> um, I think our challenge, as I think is the case probably with many people in their respective fields, is we're clinicians, right? We're first and foremost advocates for our clients. Uh, we went to school to learn to do marriage and family therapy and counseling and look at anxiety and depression. We did not get an MBA. Um, yeah. Are I not business people, <laughs> but we've learned to be. That's right. Yeah, obviously, because you've made it past five years and uh, and you're doing well. And and uh, that's kind of the, you know, most of the things that I think we we have to learn the hard way. And I'm a big, um, 
you know, stoic guy. I like following stoic philosophy and, you know, Marcus Aurelius, he says the challenge is the way. And whenever we face a challenge and even if, a, you know, that challenge causes us to temporarily what you might call fail, uh, it's a way that we learn and, and pivot and, and change and, and uh, you know, develop our skill set. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of things from from a standpoint of, um, you know, what I see a lot of people, even in the IT industry, a lot of people, you know, they have a lot of skill set as it relates to saying building out networks, securing networks, mm -hmm. but they don't have the the business acumen or the marketing acumen. So, you know, value starts to happen whenever the the rubber meets the road, you know, and if you never get the rubber to meet the road, you're really not fulfilling your potential. And uh, so tell me some things, how you, you know, what, what you've done in order to, you know, maybe get the word out or to, you know, sure. uh, figure it out. Well, Andrew and I, in the beginning, we, we, we agreed that we would never compromise on the quality of care that we gave to the people, um, to our clients as we grew. We've been very dedicated to our mission to give people just the highest quality of care um, and thorough care. And that's been consistent with each person that we've brought into our team. We, we've turned away quite a few people that have interviewed with us um, because for one reason or another did not feel like that they advocated or potentially would advocate for our patients in the same way that we do. And so I think sticking to our mission in the atmosphere that we wanted in the office, which was going is and has always been one of warmth and accepting people as they are. And it's been really important for us to normalize mental health and to normalize asking for help. And so being dedicated to that and being unwilling to waver from that I believe has helped us. I think that our patients would tell you that they have felt um, a sense of advocacy from us and a place of safety with us that has been unmatched to their other experiences. So <clears throat> that has been one. The other is to, we've just consistently not stopped working, if you will. Um, we've made use of our working hours. And I know that sounds pretty simplistic, but a good friend of us, ours, that is a business mentor of sorts, told us that one of the most effective ways you can grow your business is to intentionally mark out the hours of your work day and to qualify what you're going to do within each of those hours and then do it. That, and so sometimes that looked like doing direct clinical work. Sometimes that looked like locating other colleagues in the community. Um, one of the best ways I believe that we've grown is we've really looked to collaborate with other relevant people in our clients' worlds. For example, um, if we have a patient who's, let's say a, a woman that's struggling with anxiety and she has spoken with her OBGYN, 
we look really hard to network and to communicate with her OBGYN to establish continuity of care for the patient. Same goes with teenagers and their teachers or um, other relevant people in their life. The more people that we can um, integrate into what we're doing, the better. Also, we, we work um, also with attorneys and look to refer our clients that are going through divorces to attorneys that are going to not be therapists, obviously be attorneys, but also if you've got a traumatized person going through a difficult divorce, we want to ensure that they're with an attorney that's sensitive to the complexities of what that person is going through. So establishing relationships and working in tandem with other relevant people has been huge. And, and finally, I think I would say that pushing through that five-year mark um, I know when we hit about year four, we were really proud of the work we were doing. We were helping a lot of people, but we were looking at each other thinking, okay, is this what we're doing for the next 40 years, right? Um, <laughs> and there was a sense in which we did want to kind of throw in the towel because we were managing clinical work. We were also managing the business and the same friend I've referred to said, you've got to stick it out, hit through five years and then come talk to me. And, and man, it's true. Hitting that five-year mark, we just exploded after that. Um, we went from just the two of us to then three, then four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. And we have a powerhouse team and a beautiful building. Um, accomplishing all the goals we set out to accomplish. So persistence for sure. <laughs> yeah, I call that moving the ball. I'm pretty simple and it's like with intentionality where every day you're gonna make something a little bit better. And in doing so, that that compound effect of, of you know, inch, inch by inch, you grow mile by mile. And then you're right, all of a sudden, it kind of comes to this point to where you know, my goal really is to be where I'm 100% just helping other people. And whether it's in business consulting, security, uh, you know, coaching or whatever, you know, that's kind of my goal. And that's what I'm just steadily trying to, you know, fulfill that mission. And, you know, it's, it is a long and winding road in a way, but I think it's, it's that consistency. It's that every day. And when a lot of people are cutting out, you know, early and doing things just because they're not underwater. If they take that time and work on the business, it would go and make their life so much easier overall. Yes, yes, very much so. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking that I can't remember the name of the book. I wish I could remember it, but I remember one of the pieces of wisdom that I gleaned from it was talking about hiring out your weaknesses and that if you, you enter building a business, trying to do all of the things, you're probably going to fail, that you have to be very keenly aware of what you're not good at. So for example, for me, <coughs> I don't like keeping my schedule. I'm not good at it. Um, for me, I'm also a mom. I'm multitasking quite regularly, but passing the baton to the person doing our scheduling and me letting go of that was crucial. Um, 
organization is, is not my forte. So we've hired out um, who is really good at that um, and gleaned wisdom from people around everything from taxes and financial structures. It can feel very vulnerable. Like we should know all the answers to all of these questions when you're building a business. And the reality is we just didn't. And, you know, saying, hey, I don't know how to do X, Y, or Z and asking someone that's an expert in the respective field has proved to be tremendously fruitful. Um, you just can't do it all. And admitting what you are not good at, I think has huge dividends. Yeah, for sure. Because almost whenever you're doing what you are good at, there's it's almost energizing to a degree. I mean, it's still work. And, you know, in order for you to usually rise to the level where you can, you know, get paid to do something, it's not going to be, you know, I think sometimes people live a fairy tale to think that, you know, you can be doing what you love and what you're called and meant to do, but yet it's still work. And, uh, but, but in doing the things that you're good at, you can almost be quasi energized. Whereas if you're constantly doing things that you're not, it is definitely a drain on your energy levels. It is. And I think people have to be realistic about burnout that, I mean, of course we all have to do things that we don't like to do or that we don't feel that we're an expert in, um, no matter way, no matter how much I hate QuickBooks, I still have to <laughs> engage QuickBooks. But on the whole, I think that for people that are entrepreneurial entrepreneurs and <clears throat> are seeking to grow, that truly recognizing what is going to burn you out, um, I think is also deserves some some time and attention so that you can focus on the marathon, not the sprint, so to speak. Yep. Hey, I'm a big, uh, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? Oh, yes. We went and listened to him speak last night in Pensacola. <laughs> oh, it was sold out. I wanted to go. Was it, good? <laughs> it was. It was. It was lovely to see him and his wife, who is also lovely in person. Um, it, it was really cool to be there. In the flesh. You know, of, of anybody that I, you know, I listen to a, a couple of business books or a couple of books every year. I love theology. I love um, stoicism, just stoic philosophy, because um, I just like somebody who has well thought. And, you know, of course, you know, theology, you've got guys that have been around for thousands of years debating these things. And, you know, they put their heart and soul into it. Same with stoic uh, philosophy. And, you know, but when I hear him, he has a cogent um, methodology that is absolutely beautiful. And he uh -huh. is definitely very, very, very sharp, in my opinion. Mine too. Yeah, I bet that was great. I love the way that he... Um, the way that he, you know, describes things, even about like discipline with children and, and, um, you know, how it's, you know, how, you know, love can be firm. And I think we, we miss that at times. And we think, you know, I always say Jeffrey Dahmer's mother said, you know, and she was quoted saying that all she wanted is just to give him every little thing his little heart desired. Well, 
the problem was with, with what his heart desired. Yes. So um, what do you see as a future? I mean, for you guys, like, um, you know, what is the next steps for you guys as far as uh, from a business perspective and, you know, who you're going to be helping or, or, you know, what's, what's next? So from a business perspective, we've just are kind of closing the loop on a really big growth season. And for now we're really dedicated to just nurturing what we have uh, and stabilizing it before we, we grow further. Um, I think that, you know, one of the challenges of growth um, is you hit growing pains and our dedication to preserving the integrity of who we are and the types of service that we provide becomes ch more challenging with growth, right? Um, and so we really want to, to nurture what we have, um, but at the same time, we also we do want to grow. We are forward thinking and the need is so tremendous everywhere in the country. Um, but I would say particularly in Mobile and Baldwin County, um, it's a desperate situation. And, you know, the nature of mental health care is it's not it's not as easy as just looking someone up and being guaranteed that you're going to get the quality of service that you need and that is going to be effective. Um, so right now, what we do is we serve every age. We have a clinician <clears throat> or more, one or more that serves and that can work with person of any age, ages four and up. And we treat anxiety and depression. Um, we teach parenting techniques. And we treat trauma, treat marital strife, marital relationships. We do family therapy. And all evidence is telling us that that's not slowing down. Nobody in this profession is going to be out of job. That's for sure. Um, so as we grow, we want to bring in people that offer quality evidence-based care. Um, and by evidence-based, I think that's an important thing to flesh out within the mental health field that they're in, in doing effective work you or, or in reaching for help, you want to be working with someone that's practices and interventions are rooted in research that are proven to be helpful. Um, so a lot of people have the misunderstanding of therapy as just sitting with someone that's compassionate and nice to talk to. And while I do believe everyone in our practice is compassionate and nice to talk to, doing therapy is much more complex. Uh, I liken it to being an engineer <laughs> or a car mechanic, but with relationships and with <clears throat> growing someone's quality of life and identifying what the issues are and understanding why, and then developing strategies <clears throat> on, on how to overcome those problems. Um, so it's a complex field and we are very passionate about bringing that evidence-based care um, to this community. There, there's need, desperate need for it, more and more and more of it.
whenever I hear the word evidence-based therapy, um, you know, this is what I think of, uh, and I'm probably, I'm probably very wrong, but to me, it would almost be like where you're, you're identifying the problem and then uh, assigning maybe a, a difficulty level for components of that problem and then coming back around to see if you're actually effective in solving some of those. Is that, is that something of, of like? Yes, no, I think that is very accurate. Um, one of the questions even on our intake is have you engaged in counseling or therapy before? And what was, what was that experience? <clears throat> was that experience helpful? Unfortunately, I would say 97% of the time, the answer is no. And of people's former experiences. And wow. I would say, I would say to anybody listening that to not give up if that's the case for you and to pursue, to pursue help by someone who uses evidence-based methods. Um, and that we often say, you know, if six weeks into doing counseling, you're not making progress, then it might be best to look for help elsewhere. Um, well, I so that's one. I Go very ahead. much think like even, you know, I'm an IT guy. I do cybersecurity. That's mainly what I'm doing. But you know, I always say prognosis without diagnosis is malpractice. And I wonder if people, and I see it all the time, people go in and work on pieces and parts without ever considering a framework or something that you could measure by. And I think that uh, could be, you know, probably stretched across most industry. Would you agree that that could be something that's going on with like this, whenever this certain counselors and it's not working is because, you know, maybe they didn't put it into a framework where you could identify what's working or even identify with what's wrong. Correct. I, I think that that is so well stated that prognosis without diagnosis is malpractice. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I think that in every field that it's important to know your limits and to know when this is something that cannot be effectively treated, uh, which is also something we're passionate about is that if, if we're working with someone and we don't feel like we're the best fit to help that person address the issue that they're seeking help for, <laughs> it's our responsibility to refer them and we work hard to connect them with the appropriate relevant professional. Sometimes that can be someone within our practice and sometimes it's without outside of our practice. So kind of the concept of staying in your lane. Um, and I, I believe that some clinicians um, haven't been trained to know how to diagnose accurately. Uh, one of the things that is important to us is that there's not a, there's not a one size fits all with human beings, right? True. And so when you're looking at diagnoses, let's take something as general as anxiety, which is most people are suffering with. The root of that anxiety from one person to the next is going to be very, very different. And while the treatment measures are often 
similar regardless of the root. The, the root of the anxiety and the context in which it developed and the reasons it developed, et cetera, matter. They matter a lot in terms of the treatment approach. And so it matters to, in the mental health field, to be working with someone that can evaluate to diagnose, if you will, um, the problem um, and know how to do that thoroughly and exhaustively. Sure. I always say if you want better answers, you have to ask better questions. And I think that um, I just know mainly actually from seeing my kids, seeing a couple of people that are very, um, very, uh, have been very um, instrumental in the development and almost making, you know, my, my kids feel like they're special and important and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how that can go so far. But, you know, I see that people who invest or have that, uh, that desire to help, they are, you know, they're inquisitive and they're forever considering and digging. And, uh, and it just, it really makes for a kind of like the ecosystem of, of somebody who cares about a person who questions about what's going on. And then I guess there's enough relationship that you can ask tougher questions. And then you really, you know, get a foundation that then, you know, you're, you basically got a, a friend, if you will, or, or someone who, who you can trust. I guess trust would be the word I'm looking for. Yes, it's, it's hugely important, <clears throat> especially for kids to have, I say multiple legs on your stool, right? Um, you know, if you lose one leg on a three-legged stool, you're kind of, you're gonna fall. So the more you can put on it, so to speak, the better. Um, and, and I think that goes for, you know, within the mental health field, our advocacy for our patients includes how do we translate the work that we're accomplishing in this office to their daily life? We're only an hour a week, and I think, a, or sometimes two, but an important hour, um, but getting our work to translate into their life day in, day out. Is, is part of our job as well. And that includes advocating and encouraging relationships like the ones you just spoke of. Got you. Well, do this for me, Lee. Tell, uh, tell the audience how they could get uh, with your practice or, you know, what's the best way to get, if they had questions, I'm sure there's gonna be questions that uh, people are gonna wanna know more. Uh, what would be the best sure. way to reach out and, and uh, get in touch with you? So you can call our office directly, which is 251-222-8880. You can Google Hurley Counseling. Also go to our website, which is under construction or getting ready to be revamped. <laughs> I feel like I need to put a disclaimer on it. HurleyCounselingLLC.com. Or you can email office at HurleyCounselingLLC.com. And any one of those methods of communication um, will get you to the right person. Got you. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been very informative and I've learned some things in my mind. Every time I get through with a podcast, my mind is just swirling with more and more and more questions. But for time's sake, we'll cut it off here. But again, thank you. And I know our audience appreciates uh, folks like you and what you're doing to help make it a better, you know, better community and better place to live. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Philip. All right. Have a great afternoon and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. It's time to go inside Philip's head. Thoughts of the month. For our thought of the month, I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Peterson and really just my overall pleasure in listening to him. He is such a great mind and he is well-spoken and uh, just really is very fascinating. I'm currently listening uh, to a book that he wrote uh, called The 12 Rules for Life. And the first rule is stand up straight and put your shoulders back. What's interesting about this to me is the fact that that posture uh, lends itself to uh, a successful person and that produces a feedback loop, a positive feedback loop, where if you're down and out with your head down, uh, a lot of times, you know, people treat you like you're down and out. And we've often heard nobody loves somebody when they're down and out. And that's true. And that, that would be a negative feedback loop. So basically his um, kind of take on things are is to, um, you know, stand up tall, put your head uh, up, put your shoulders back, look, look the part because people will see you as being able to perform or bring value to a situation and in doing so, they're going to treat you that way. And as they begin to treat you that way, you begin to become more confident and you begin to, you know, basically move forward in a very positive way. So again, put your uh, head up, put your shoulders back and lean into the situation. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. Check out AskBIS.com, brought to you by BIS.